Hi everyone, Carrie here. Just wanted to share with you that you can now listen to Jury Duty ad-free by becoming a patron to our Patreon. In addition to these ad-free episodes, you'll get exclusive access to the full Crime Story podcast catalog, including our interviews with groundbreaking crime storytellers like the creators of The Wire, Breaking Bad, and The Sopranos, and all of our reporting by Amanda Knox. Just search for Jury Duty via the Patreon website or the Patreon app. Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we concluded our exploration of Prosecutor Thomas Binger's direct examination of state witness Richie McGinnis, focusing specifically on the immediate aftermath of the Rosenbaum shooting. On today's episode, we begin our look at defense attorney Mark Richards' cross-examination of McGinnis. That's all coming up right after the break. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. As you will know if you've been listening to this podcast season of Jury Duty, we have often expressed bewilderment and confusion at Prosecutor Thomas Binger's intentions in his examination of witnesses, particularly when it comes to how that testimony relates to Binger's theory of the case. By contrast, defense attorney Mark Richards' cross-examination of Daily Caller video director Richie McGinnis is a case study in clarity of intention. And so, in this episode, we are going to present much of the first portion of that cross-examination, with only occasional interruptions and a bit of editing for concision and clarity. Richards jumps right into his cross without any introduction or preamble. After you left the hospital, you went to the Kenosha Police Department, correct? Yes. And you were interviewed shortly after this happened. Um, by a detective, Sepris. Yes. And that's not either of these two individuals here, correct? No. And you gave them uh, video, taped, and sound recorded statement, correct? Correct, yes. And that was in a room with a small table and carpeted walls. Yes. And you stated to Detective Sepris, and I'm quoting from your interview, the guy who I interviewed was trying to evade him. When you're using the term guy who you interviewed, who are you referring to? Mr. Rittenhouse. Okay. And he was trying to evade whom? Mr. Uh, well, uh, it depends on what instance you're talking about, but uh, initially it was very difficult for me to tell who he was evading um, because the, it was, the street was dark and I was a, a ways back. There were a number of individuals kind of moving in his direction, uh, and there was a lot of noise. So it wasn't clear to me who he was evading initially when he started to run. Okay. 
I'll read from your statement at page 20. And there were other people who were moving very quickly, and I noticed two guys who were moving quickly. One of the ones was the guy who ended up, I guess, getting shot and dying, and they were moving towards him. So he was, according to what I saw, trying to evade these individuals. Yes. Okay. So one of the individuals is the guy who gets shot, Mr. Rosenbaum. Correct. And the other one is somebody who, to this day, you would not know who it is. No. Yeah. It was, it was dark, and it was very difficult to identify. I, I don't think I could. No. And you had interviewed Kyle before this shooting, maybe 15 minutes? It was like 14 I have the metadata okay. in my phone, so okay. according to the metadata on the phone, it was about 14 minutes. Okay. And when you met Kyle and you interviewed him, he was not menacing to you, was he? Beyond that he had a weapon, no. Okay. So what was menacing was the weapon. When I, when I said menacing in that context, it was the situation that was menacing, which is a number of armed individuals. And specifically uh, in that instance, I was most... Uh, nervous about the individuals on the roof because I couldn't see them. Um, so it's, it was just more concerning to me because at least, you know, the folks on the ground, I could see them. And Kyle was one of the ones on the ground. Yes. And the interview, which Mr. Binger took and referred to the menacing word, was you being interviewed by Kyle Horton, and that interview was 26 minutes long, correct? Mm-hmm. And you used the word menacing once. I guess so. You went through it. So I'll take your word for it, but I don't recall saying it another time. Okay. And this is your word, Detective Separus. No, no, it's cool. It's cool. But he did. I mean, the interview, he was very cordial. Detective. Yeah. You. Very nice and almost seemed like innocent. Very, almost seemed like too much for his own good. Do you remember that statement? Yes, I do. And you're referring to him being too innocent for his own good, correct? I was, uh, I was alluding to the fact that uh, it seemed to me that a lot of the people, protesters, rioters, whatever you want to call them, were uh, casting negative looks in his direction, and he didn't seem to be aware of that. Meaning Kyle wasn't aware of how... Of how pissed off the, the people were. Uh, not in his group. Generally speaking, the people who were on the ground, who had just been, you know, basically volleyed back by the law enforcement, those people, not, so, not, not the other armed individuals. The rioters didn't like the people with long weapons. Is that a fair statement? The way you that's, a, that's a fair statement in my perception, yes. I think it was also additionally that uh, I was referring to the fact that he was uh, shouting medical and that people were looking at him negatively, um, kind of like angry uh, when they heard you know, him and then saw his, I guess, presume his weapon or whatever. And that's where you talked about the duality of medic having a gun, correct? Correct. And he might not have perceived the problem with that dual role. Yeah, he might not have perceived how other people perceived uh, him in that situation. Reading from a statement from you, I didn't know, I don't know if it was the fire extinguisher or if it was a piece of metal or something kick something. I have no idea. But when I turn back, the fire extinguisher is gone and he had the AR-15 kind of like aiming downwards. And at that point, they were heading into the parking lot. And he was kind of facing backwards, and the individual who got shot was advancing towards him, and he actually dodged. He dodged around, and then he ran backwards, so he almost like he turned his back a little bit. You're describing him running away from Mr. Rosenbaum there, correct? Correct. And as Mr. Rittenhouse is running away, Mr. Rosenbaum's in pursuit, 
correct? Correct. And at one point, Kyle turns around with a weapon, and you're talking about it being in a downward position, but towards Mr. Rosenbaum. Yes. Are you talking about the final instance where he turned around? Or the first instance. Yes. Okay. And this isn't where Mr. Rosenbaum gets shot, correct? Correct. He was kind of up on the curb, and he, he kind of headed in the direction towards the car lot, and then he stopped and turned. And then he continues running, and Mr. Rosenbaum continues to chase Mr. Rittenhouse. Uh, correct. The instance where I described that there were two individuals, that was kind of at that point in time. So it, it, I didn't zero in on Mr. Rosenbaum being kind of the, the one person pursuing him until after that first kind of juke and run. Okay. And do you remember Mr. Rittenhouse turning around in the parking lot when Mr. Rosenbaum is chasing him, just Mr. Rosenbaum chasing him? Yes. Okay. And this is before the final confrontation. When he turned around initially, he was kind of on the sidewalk before they got into the lot. I didn't identify Mr. Rosenbaum until we kind of entered the lot where it was very light. Okay. Well lit. And when he enters the lot, Mr. Rosenbaum, it's Kyle and Mr. Rosenbaum really in that area where the shooting occurred. There's nobody else. Yes, correct. And he runs according to your vantage point, basically as far as he can. Yeah, I did state to the police the night of that um, it appeared that um, when he stopped, he entered an area where there was like a car parked and a wall. Um, I mean, it would have been conceivable that, you know, you could have, the, the car was like not, it wasn't up against the wall. Like you could conceivably have continued, but it, it seemed to me, uh, my perception that night that he, um, you know, had entered a bit of a dead end. Um, and, or at least he, felt that way. And he turned and looks at Mr. Rosenbaum. Correct. And Mr. Rittenhouse turns around, has a firearm in his arms, correct? Correct. The AR, as we refer correct. to it. Correct, yes. Mr. Rosenbaum is running towards Kyle Rittenhouse, correct? Correct. And there's nothing between those two individuals to block Mr. Rosenbaum's view, correct? Correct. Could have stopped at any time once he sees an armed individual, correct? I assume he could have, yes. He kept advancing. Correct. And he continues to advance until he makes a lunge for the weapon, correct? Yes. It appeared that he was lunging for the front portion of the of the weapon. Okay. Which would be the business end of an AR-15. Yes. And you know as you sit here today that he yelled the words F you, but the whole words, correct? Yes. Okay, what was the tone of his voice as he yelled that? Very angry. As he goes at Kyle Rittenhouse, correct? Correct. And there's been some statements about him shot in the back. Don't dispute it. If you're Mr. Rittenhouse, and I'm Mr. Rosenbaum, did you ever see him turn away from you back to Mr. Rittenhouse? No. Okay. And your vantage point would you would allow you to see if in fact this is the proverbial shooting an innocent person in the back, correct? You mean I was I close enough? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Okay. And as he shot, you never saw him turn around, look at you directly, and begin running away for the back shot, correct? Correct. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mark Richards next moves into an area of Richie McGinnis' statement to police detectives that draws an objection from Prosecutor Binger. You to the detective that evening describing the confrontation between Rosenbaum and Kyle Rittenhouse. In my best estimation, I think this individual and possibly other individuals decided they were going to get his gun from him, correct? I'm going to object to that. calls for speculation. Judge Bruce Schrader overrules the objection but offers guidance to the jury. You can explore what appeared to him to have happened, but uh, when you say belief, people don't talk the way lawyers want them to. Um, the lawyer, lawyers want very strict adherence to just perception by the senses. In ordinary discourse, people don't talk that way. They combine a whole array of things that they see and perceive with all of their senses and their experience in life. And then they put that into the form of an impression. I'm going to let the witness testify as one would ordinarily discourse with others. But keep in mind, there is there's a huge component of things other than what he perceived with his senses. And then I'll let the uh, state uh, uh, redirect on on those issues. But he can answer the question. I'll read the statement to you. Then I'll ask you why you believed it or why you thought that. Okay. But in my best estimation, I think that the individual and possibly other individuals decided that they were going to get his gun from him. Do you remember telling Detective Sepp? I do, yes. What was that statement based upon? It was based upon the way that they were advancing towards him. It seemed that they were trying to move quickly such that they could catch, catch him. Okay. And from your vantage point, remembering back to that evening, did you see that Kyle Rittenhouse was with anyone that was friendly to him that night. That night? At, at that time. At that, at that moment, no. Mr. Bulch uh, was with him when I was walking behind them. And then after uh, I saw um, Yellow Pants guy, uh, that was the last I saw Mr. Bulch. So he was alone um, okay. after that. Statement from you to the detective. And it is very clear from the moment I focused on that situation between those two that the unarmed guy got shot, was trying to get his gun. Do you remember making that statement? Yes, I do. Okay. 
And what is that statement based on? The motion of him running and reaching for the front portion of the rifle. Okay. And that evening, you told the detective he paused so it looked like he was very close. You used the word very close. What does that mean to you? Well, I was behind uh, Mr. Rosenbaum, and uh, Mr. Rittenhouse was on the other side of me and Rosenbaum. And so it was clear that as he lunged forward, they, they almost made contact. It wasn't clear if they did or not. And your perception was that evening, as you watched it, he was going for the barrel of the gun. Correct. And the detective followed up on that to pin that down, and you stated, but he was certainly trying to grab the barrel of the gun. You were certain of that that night. Uh, raise my objection against speculation. There, there certainly is an element of conclusion in the witness's answer, but that's the way people talk in ordinary discourse and convey information one to another. So they have to weigh it in terms of its reliability, uh, knowing that it's not, it not like a series of photographic images. So, overall, I think it was very clear to me that he was reaching specifically for the weapon because that's where his hands went. Okay. Your statement to the detective. Yeah, so it was like the guy he shot was like this, and then he was probably, and he leaned in, so he was like this. And so at that time he was shot, he was kind of leaning forward. You were describing to the detective what you observed Mr. Rosenbaum doing, correct? Correct. Could you describe that or show us? I mean, it's probably easier to show, to Please. be honest. He's in a low position running, and then when he went for the front portion of the rifle, his lunge forward like that. Okay, so you've shown somebody in the tack position, you lunge forward and putting both of your arms out, and you're saying going for the barrel. Uh, I would say he was more like kind of in an athletic position, like you would if you were, you know, like running as fast as you could, and then... So He's running as fast as he could. Mm -hmm. And then you showed both of your arms going out almost like I'm a Superman. It was like a little bit. Um, I mean, I think Superman would be kind of, you know, straight out. It was more like out and down because the rifle was aimed lower than where his hands were. So his hands were actually going kind of downward as well um, and towards the barrel. When he goes for the barrel, what does Kyle do with the gun? Uh, he dodged around it. And then does what? and then leveled the weapon and fired. And it, it wasn't necessarily leveled because uh, Mr. Rosenbaum was in a lower position, so it was, it was still somewhat angled towards the ground, but it was uh, leveled at his body. This exchange, ask you if you remember it, that's the only reason why I say that there were more people involved, detective, okay, in trying to corner this guy or whatever, detective, uh-huh because I just heard a lot of yelling and a lot of really fast movement. That's more talking about what you observed at the beginning, correct? Correct, yes. But you thought this was a group of people, at least two, trying to get Kyle's gun from him when he's alone. I mean, I believe that I was, I was speculating that that's what they were trying to do based on what I saw. Okay. And the shots that you heard, there's a shot and then there's Kyle's shots, correct? Correct. The shot that you hear first, can you say whether it's in front of you, behind you, to the side of you? 
Um, so, like, um, there's like the building that's the actual building in that lot. Um, that's to my right as I'm running. And um, Mr. Rosenbaum and Mr. Rittenhouse are in front of me. And it was like to my left. Okay. So, as you're av advancing, it would be from the area of the sidewalk. Correct. And you've looked at numerous videos now, not that day, but since, and you actually see the flash of gunfire. Correct. Your statement getting towards the end. And it was pretty clear to me that the guy with the gun was trying to evade the other guy. And that's throughout this event until he stops. Yes, that's, a, that's an accurate statement. He did not want to be caught by Mr. Rosenbaum. Uh, that is correct. And when he finally did turn and point the gun, Rosenbaum kept advancing. Correct. And would Mr. Kyle Rittenhouse been in a position to know that you were behind Mr. Rosenbaum? He was certainly close enough, but I wasn't looking at where he was looking. I was looking, uh, like I said, at that point at the um, front portion of the weapon. It was quite light in that area, so it's it's very possible that I, I mean, I'm, I'm, if he had have been looking in my direction, he certainly would have seen me. But he's running away from where you are until he turns, and he has this guy coming at him, correct? Correct. And if Mr. Rosenbaum had stopped five or seven feet away from him, would he have been shot? Object, Your Honor. Judge Schrader sustains Binger's objection as it calls for witness speculation. Richards likely knew that was coming, but he succeeded in putting the question in the minds of the jury. He continues. Now, you're giving aid to Mr. Rosenbaum after he's been shot four times. Were those shots slow, bang, 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 or were they in quick succession? It was, it was extremely quick. Um, the night of, I said it was three or four, because it was so quick that it was hard for me to count. Uh, and we now everyone agrees it's four, and you do too? Yes. Okay. And after he shot, you pick him up and you try to carry him to the hospital, but you stop at a vehicle, correct? Correct. What's happening to you as you're stopping or trying to get him to this vehicle? What's happening to you? Um, well, there was a very large crowd around us. Uh, everyone was yelling. Um, I was getting bumped and I thought that um, I was uh, just being bumped by the crowd, but then, you know, I got bumped a little bit harder and then I felt a fist hit my face um, as I was loading him into the back of the vehicle. Face you, sir. I felt a what in my face? A fist. So there was, there's, a large group of people surrounding you and the other individual carrying Mr. Roosevelt to the car. Yes. And people in that crowd were striking at you? I had a lot of adrenaline and I didn't think it was anything beyond being in a, a mob, a crowd of people who were all, I guess, very animated. Um, a lot of people were yelling uh, and I didn't really feel it until uh, it was like a, a hard punch to the side of my face. Um, and I turned around and saw the individual, uh, and he was pointing at me um, like he wanted, um, he was mad at me. Like he wanted more punches at you, is that it? Yeah, I, I, at that point, I was actually just entering the rear of the vehicle. And so he hit me, and I looked back, and I, um, I actually, like, kicked my legs um, towards where he was at the tailgate. 
uh, to get him away from me. Thank you. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us on our next episode as we conclude our look at the testimony of Richie McGinnis. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You can find more information about this trial at CrimeStory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik, and it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.